This is Brian Gitt. My name is Patrick Moore. This is Dr. William Mackis. This is Bruce Party. This is Tom Luongo. This is Steve Barber, and you're listening to the Sean Newman Podcast. Welcome to the podcast, folks. Happy Monday. Happy Halloween. Uh, man, I hope uh, your weekend was as good as mine. I am starting to sound, feel better, which is, uh, well, I mean, which is everything. A couple days there, man, I was just like, like I just couldn't get off the couch, but uh we powered through, made her through. Uh, we had some hockey on the weekend, some basketball. Kids got dressed up. They're getting dressed up again today. So uh, things are good on this side and uh, definitely feeling a lot better. Here's another thing for your, your Monday. Today is the final day you can buy QDM and 2's tickets uh, on, for November 5th here in Lloydminster at the Gold Horse Casino. Just go in the show notes. Uh, hope to see you there. We are closing in on a sellout. Um, we've got about a table and a half left. So if you're still looking for tickets, they are still available, but uh, only till the end of today. And that is uh, Monday, October 31st. So if you're looking for tickets, uh, hop online, grab a couple, and hopefully we'll get to see you here in Lloyd Gold Horse Casino. Now, before we get to today's episode, let's uh, hop over to our sponsors for today. Uh, Canadians for Truth, nonprofit organization consisting of Canadians who believe in honesty, integrity, and principal leadership here in government, as well as the Canadian Bill of Rights, Charter of Rights and Freedoms, and the Rule of Just Laws. I just hung my Charter of Rights and Freedoms here in the uh, studio, and I'm quite uh, quite happy with it. If, uh, if you're paying attention to Canadians for Truth, uh, Theo and Jamie were just in uh, Swift Current, I believe, uh, with Arthur uh, Pulowski, and they got uh, Chris Barber coming up here in November in a live show in Calgary. So all you got to do is go to Canadians for Truth, uh, either .ca or go to their Facebook page. Either way, you can find out exactly what they're uh, what they're working with and uh, what where they're heading. Because man, they're uh, all all out right now with uh, Jamie. Uh, Theo and uh, of course Joseph uh, starting all their different shows coming here and uh, their live shows and uh, you just got to pay attention and see what's uh, upcoming for them. Windsor Plywood Builders of the Podcast Studio Table. That's Carly Kloss and the team over there for Everything Wood. These are the guys, you know, I, I, uh, I don't get a whole lot of people into the studio currently. But every time I do, they, they got to do the same, you know, kind of feel the table like, yeah, this is solid. Where is this from again? Yeah, that's Windsor Plywood. And, uh, you know, whether we're talking mantles, decks, windows, doors, sheds, or a podcast studio table, Windsor Plywood is the place when you're dealing with wood. Give them a call, 780-875-9663. Uh, Spraying, uh, they are uh, a, a family-owned business that has been providing professional vegetation management services for both Alberta and Saskatchewan, the oil field and industrial sector since 1998. And, uh, you know, their season here closing down through the winter. But uh, I think of all you students and uh, people who are, you know, um, when, when um, the semester breaks and you're looking for work, at the end of the school year, you know, that's months away now. But uh, if you want to get to work, make some coins. So when you go back to school in the fall again, uh, Mitchco will put you to work and keep you busy all through the summer. All you got to do is go to mitchcocorp.ca or give them a call, 780-214-4004. They're always hiring. And, you know, if you're interested, uh, check them out, reach out, and find out what they're all about. Um, Profit River. Uh Clay Smiley and the team over there, they specialize in importing firearms from the United States of America. I got this, um, I had this gun sent to me, and uh, I'm, I'm spacing on it now. I think it was, I want to say it was Stuart Light who who uh, who, who sent it me, and it was a, an engraving. Um, here, I'm going to see if I can pull it up while I'm, while I'm jam- okay, yeah, here it is. Okay, it was a Canadian's Truckers Tribute Edition, uh, a Henry-made uh, lever-action um, gun, and, and man, it looked 
freaking sweet. Anyways, I'm driving by. As soon as he sent this to me, I'm driving by, and there comes Clay walking up. So I stop, and Clay goes, yeah, yeah, we got some of them coming on, on order. I'm like, sweet. Are they for sale? He's like, oh, yeah, no, they're already sold out. <laughs> uh, I guess uh, he, he, Clay was telling me, like, these things sold out so freaking fast. It wasn't even funny. And that is, you know, Profit River. I mean, they got some sweet stuff that comes through the store. You got to pay attention. All you got to do is go to ProfitRiver.com or uh, go to their Facebook uh, page as well. Pay attention to their social media because they are the major retailer of firearms, optics, and accessories, and they serve all of Canada. So it doesn't matter where you're tuning into this thing from. If you're a gun enthusiast, uh, these guys can help. They uh, Im- they specialize in importing firearms from the United States of America, and they can do just that for you. So either way, take a look at them, ProfitRiver.com. And finally, Gartner Management and Lloyd Bissler-based company specialize in all types of rental properties to help meet your needs, whether we're looking for a small office or, you know, you got multiple employees, you need uh, a little extra space. Give Wade a call, 780-808-5025. Now, let's get on that tail of the tape brought to you by Hancock Petroleum. For the past 80 years, they've been an industry leader in bulk fuels, lubricants, methanol, and chemicals delivering your farm, commercial, or oil field locations. For more information, visit them at HancockPetroleum.ca. She's a columnist for the National Post, podcast host with True North, and is frequently interviewed on such outlets as the New York Times, Financial Times, and BBC News. I'm talking about Rupa Subramania. So buckle up. Here we go. I'm Rupa Subramania, and I'm listening to the Sean Newman Podcast. Welcome to the Sean Newman Podcast today. I'm joined by Rupa Subramania. So first off, thank you for hopping on. Thank, thanks, Sean. Thanks for uh, inviting me to your show. Uh, now, um, <clears throat> I, I feel like the audience must get tired of me saying it out like this, but I'm going to do it again anyways. Um, it's the first time you've hopped on here before. Mm-hmm. And certainly I have uh, followed, I, I honestly, uh, Rupa, I can't remember the first article you wrote that got me onto your work, but wherever it was, I've been an avid follower of of your uh, of your writing and and your thoughts, um, but there's going to be people on the on the in the audience that have never heard your name before. Maybe don't realize you know some of your extensive line of work. Um, I thought maybe you could just give them a bit of your background, and and from there we'll we'll fire off and see where we go to. Well, uh, so I live in Ottawa, Sean, and uh, in the nation's capital, and I. Um, I used to live overseas. I lived overseas for almost a decade before returning to Canada. I first came to Canada when I was 18 years old to study here. And uh, so I went to school here. I did an undergraduate degree and two graduate degrees uh, after. And then I went overseas. I lived in India for nearly a decade. And then I returned to Canada. um, um, and, And then I began writing for the National Post. When I lived overseas, I wrote for the Wall Street Journal uh, and for foreign policy, and I freelanced a bit here and there. Um, I did some research work for think tanks in India, and uh, and then um, the right now I write for the National Post and for Nikkei, which is a publication based out of Tokyo, and I'm also a writer for Barry Wise's Common Sense. And and you have a lovely podcast I might throw in there as well. I have a podcast too. I'm. <laughs> 
talking about so many different things that sometimes I forget, uh, you, know, you know, everything that I'm doing. But of course, the, uh, my podcast, my weekly podcast for True North, um, which I'm very proud of. And I um, I have been uh, really enjoying that, uh, enjoying podcasting, which has been a completely different experience for me as a writer. And um, and I've been doing that since June. So do check out my show, uh, the Rupa Subramanya show on True North. But yeah, so I um, I write and I podcast. <laughs> well, and I, I, I uh, appreciate you, you, you kind of updating all, all the listeners on all the things you do. You're a busy woman. And uh, I follow you on Twitter and and I've li- been listening to your podcast as well. And I, obviously on this side, I listen to a lot of podcasts, um, but your thoughts and your takes on things has been really interesting. One that, uh, you know, I was I was doing a little um, background on you uh, leading okay. towards this. And I stumbled across and I had, you know, at this point in time, if I go back to January of this year, yeah. I wasn't uh, exactly paying attention to much mainstream uh narratives or talks or whatever but i landed right. on the agenda and you're on a show with gary mason christopher uh lebeau oh, LeBa, right. and yeah. roman barber you recall yeah. uh, roman Barber, sorry uh yeah. you, you recall yeah. this yes of course i do of course uh it was um i was invited by tvo uh to debate the um uh the um uh, pr- proposal by the G- uh, quebec government to fine or tax the unvaccinated and um, and I was just uh, really, you know, outraged by that. And I'd written, um, I think that's probably when people started to um, notice me was when I was writing about Omicron. I was writing against the lockdown in Ontario and I had enough of this. Um, you know, I had been three times vaccinated at that point. I'd been following all public health measures. I was doing everything by the book. I was following everything and then to be to go back into a lockdown again i just it didn't make any sense and our approach here seemed to be more extreme than anywhere else uh, in the world uh, our schools were closed uh, we were once again back to shutting down restaurants and businesses and it just at this point in the at that point in the pandemic it just for me, uh, none of this made any sense. And I began asking these questions, you know, what exactly is going on here? And uh, and then the Quebec proposal was kind of the icing on the cake when it came to this, uh, to to my views at that time. And, um, and yeah, I, uh, um, that that's kind of like, you know, when I started to think about this, and I thought, you know, what exactly are we doing here with, you know, and how we're treating those who refuse to get uh, vaccinated. At one point, I mean, I'll be very honest with you, I did support uh, vaccine mandates. Uh, it lasted for about a month or so. And I've talked about my journey as someone who went from uh, supporting it initially to then changing my mind quickly. Uh, and it was a very uh, personal uh, uh, story of uh, uh, something that I had experienced, uh, you could call it trauma. And that kind of uh, led me to this thinking. But then I quickly went away from that thinking because I it just wasn't sitting well with me. I knew there was something deeply problematic in the direction in which we were heading as a society in how we were treating the unvaccinated. And, uh, and then those were, so I went on the agenda and I uh, tried to explain the many reasons why people would refuse to get vaccinated. And, um, and I remember my fellow panelist, um, Gary Mason was just uh, really unhinged when it, came to, you know, the kinds of things that he was proposing we do to the unvaccinated. And uh, I knew that public discourse at that point had become truly, truly divisive and uh, and something needed to be done. People needed to speak up more. It's um, 
the reason I bring it up, Rupa, is, you know, yeah. you think of how far we've come in under a year, you know, with uh, yeah. the Emergency Act uh, Commission going on right now and certainly all eyes on that and paying attention. Uh, when I go back and watch that show, I, I kind of put this uh, dark space in time or this dark yeah. period in time kind of over there somewhere. And to hear uh, people talk about fining uh, if you're not vaccinated and all yeah. these different punishments, essentially, mm -hmm. and it being openly talked about. Mm -hmm. on a relatively mainstream show i'm like yeah. wow this is this is this is something now you mentioned um you were for mandates and and you said it was personal and if it's uh, something you don't want to talk about that's that's fine but uh what did change your mind ultimately then uh yeah. to, to to start speaking against them well, no, I, uh, I'm happy to talk about it. In fact, I wrote a, uh, um, I wrote it in my regular column for the National Post about uh, a month and a half ago, two months. Um, I think it was, you know, it was important to address this. Um, um, I'd actually kind of even forgotten that part of my, uh, maybe, you know, I just blotted it out of my, um, uh, out of my uh, mind because out of my brain, because maybe it was just, uh, it was that it was part of that traumatic experience that I I, I spoke about earlier. Um, so my parents live in India and they nearly died um, uh, from the they were caught up in that Delta wave that uh, that uh, came to India and uh, which is the Delta variant originated in India. And I lost uh, many friends. Uh, they were begging me for um, to to hook them up to oxygen cylinders uh, here, sitting here in Ottawa, you know. And they were wondering if I could connect them to hospitals in India and um, uh, uh, hook me up with doctors, or can you procure oxygen cylinders because I'm literally, I literally cannot breathe. And um, this was happening around April, May, uh, June, and uh, and it was very, very. It, it left an impression on my. Uh, on me and uh, I couldn't see my parents. Um, and, uh, and so I was just hoping and praying and my parents were unvaccinated at that time. And I was just hoping and praying that, uh, that, you know, they would, they would come out of this and they did come out of this. And uh, maybe that kind of, I, I think I, I truly believed that the vaccines would prevent transmission because that's what we were being told. If you remember Joe Biden yeah. at that time was saying vaccines prevent transmission. Everybody was saying that. And I truly felt that if the vaccines prevented transmission, then that would be the end of the pandemic. But then I realized um, shortly after that uh, there were all of these breakthrough infections uh, and, 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 you know, and that made, um, uh, made me ask these questions. What, what is going on here? What is up with these breakthrough infections? Israel, for example, which had like uh, one of the best vax rates, vaccination rates in the, on the planet, had uh, breakthrough infections from the Delta variant. And, and nobody was giving us, none of the doctors were really, all of these experts who hold forth on vaccine, vaccines and why you should get vaccinated, uh, couldn't explain this to us, you know, and uh, and so I began asking questions. And of course, I noticed that the public discourse was also getting very, very divisive. It was pouring scorn on the unvaccinated. They were being treated as um, outsiders, and uh, and I it it didn't sit well with me at all. Like I said, you know, I probably held this view back in August of 2021, and then by about October, I had changed my mind. 
by about November, for sure, I knew that this was uh, not something that I was comfortable supporting uh, because um, I just, um, you know, I, I just didn't like the way this was being. Uh, certainly, uh, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's words uh, didn't sit well with me. I felt that if the prime minister of the country can say this, if major news publications are saying this, um, um, you know, without even kind of just even just reflecting on what they're saying, uh, I knew that we had gone too far with this and I just couldn't um, uh, uh, keep uh, silent anymore. And of course, the Delta, uh, the Omicron variant changed it. Uh, for me, it was a game changer in many ways because you have all of these vaccines, but none of them are preventing uh, you from getting Omicron. In fact, I uh, was vaccinated in early December uh, and 10 days later I got Omicron. Um, and so I'm thinking, what is up with this? You know, I, at one point, I believe that it pre prevented transmission, but or we were told that it was preventing transmission. And here I am um, with Omicron. And uh, so, yeah, th that's that was that was kind of, you know, when my thinking started to change and I really uh, began questioning all of these narratives. And interestingly enough, I mean, my journey is um, uh, kind of complex because, you know, when I was um, uh, when when uh, the pandemic happened, I was actually in India. And in March of 2020, I was uh, stuck in India uh, under one of the world's harshest lockdowns. Imagine locking down 1.1 billion people. Um, it, it's extraordinary. And I lived in Mumbai at that time, uh, one of the world's largest cities, 16 million people under lockdown. And it literally was a ghost city. There was nobody out. And uh, and I remember um, writing a series of articles at that time. I was a big proponent of the Great Barrington Declaration before it became the Great Barrington Declaration. Um, I uh, referenced Jay Bhattacharya, Dr. Jay Bhattacharya, uh, quite extensively. Um, and I was very again, you know, I was against lockdowns. I was against these restrictions. I was for sort of uh, targeting uh, vulnerable groups. Uh, you know, if you want to protect long-term care homes, you want to protect retirement homes, go ahead and do that. Uh, you want to be in your basement and not step out for the rest of your life. That's that's also up to you. Uh, but I didn't. I was never a proponent of these harsh lockdown measures, shutting down of schools, parks. Um, uh, you know, sports centers, so on and so forth. And I um, uh, was very much against it. So, and I, and I did believe that the vaccines would be the way out of our pandemic. How could you not believe our public health officials? How could you not believe our elected officials? Uh, it was a very strange time uh, for, for, for many of us. And we were hoping that the vaccines would really uh, be um, the, you know, an, an exit strategy out of the pandemic. But, uh, but, you know, now we know that was never the case because we're still talking about cases. We're still talking about, we're actually living in, you know, we're, we're actually more fearful now post-vaccination than before, which is quite extraordinary. Isn't that a final sentence, right? We're actually more fearful after vaccination than before. That's uh, that right there. Yeah, I have a question about India. Yeah. Because uh, along the pandemic, uh, two uh, two countries stood out to me. Mm -hmm. And I don't have this. Uh, I wish I was. Uh, this was a year ago because I used to have this off by the top of my head. But uh, yeah. Mexico did kiosks. And I think... Um, India did something along the similar lines where if you got COVID, you were given, um, <clears throat> and I'm, I'm 
making a figurative here, like a bag of, of like a couple of different things to yeah. try and help prevent. It was preventative medicine is what it uh, right at the start. Did your right. parents talk to you about at all, anything like that in India? Uh, no. So I think what you're referencing is probably um, 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 what is that uh, controversial medication? I It's not remdesivir, but the uh, ivermectin. Ivermectin. So yes. there is. Um, so in the largest state in India, Uttar Pradesh, uh, and the North Indian state of India, which is about the size of California, I think, um, it, the 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 um, leadership in that country uh, uh, I apparently gave out ivermectin to um, uh, um, to the population. And and which is probably why, according to this theory, why uh, Uttar Pradesh uh, did fairly well when it came to the pandemic. Now, look, I can't I can't speak to that because, for one thing, um, India uh, was not very good at uh, the, the testing was really bad in India very early on in the pandemic, and even um, even even just before the Delta variant hit India. Um, I, you know, I, I criticized the Indian government or Indian officials for uh, not not testing adequate adequately enough. So you don't test, there's no pandemic, right? And that was that was that was their thinking. So I don't quite know how the state actually did in the end. I'm not, you know, I don't have the data at my fingertips. I haven't gone through it. So I, I can't speak to that. Well, but the- I, I'll tell you, tell you what my parents did. So my dad um, was in the hospital for something else, uh, tuberculosis meningitis, which uh, is deadly. Uh, and he almost uh, died from that. And then um, and, and then he got COVID while he was in hospital. So I knew at that point, this was just too much for my, for my dad to deal with. And I thought that was it. This was the last time I would ever speak to him. And um, so when he went back to the hospital for routine examination, they tested him uh, for uh, for COVID and as they do here and uh, and he tested positive. And then the doctor said, look, you have mild symptoms. You know, there's nothing here that we are concerned about. Why don't you go home and drink this herbal therapeutic? Um, and my so this is what my parents did. It's a, a disgusting concoction of all of these different spices you boil it up and you drink it in the morning. It's very, very bad on your stomach, but it some something about it, my parents explained to me that it literally beat whatever it was out of their system. It got it out of their system. And this is what they did. They isolated for two weeks and they drank this concoction for two weeks. And uh, that was uh, the end of their, uh, that, that was it. And they were unvaccinated at this point and they made it through. And my parents are in their 70s. And my dad was severely immunocompromised, and yet he got out of, uh, made, made it made it uh, just fine uh, uh, from the Delta variant. Well, one of the reasons I bring up India, <clears throat> you yeah. having that strong of a connection there, yeah. uh, sitting here, I've heard different stories about Ivor Pradesh, and so yeah. uh, I was I was curious, right? And and there's no right or wrong answer, but yeah. you're you're clearing up some things that I'm like, oh, I wonder if. Everyone in India looked at that that area and was like, "Wow, they got it right," or maybe they got it wrong. I have no idea. But uh, yeah. to me, um, you have a, a, a more of an insider knowledge than than this guy ever will. 
I'll tell you one thing that India did, which uh, which is very interesting. Uh, uh, you know, apart from ivermectin, uh, which I think should be uh, studied uh, more extensively, and you really need to get data from the uh, from the Uttar Pradesh government for this. What India did was it kept out Pfizer and Moderna. It kept out it, it kept the mRNA vaccines out of the uh, out of it, the out of the market. It focused on. Um, the um, viral vector vaccines instead. So it developed AstraZeneca uh, and, um, and and uh, and 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 indigenous vaccine, um, uh, which is based on the same technology, the same viral vector vaccine as AstraZeneca. So um, so that is that that's worth um, you know discussing as well. Uh, why did India keep out Pfizer and Moderna? Well, Gee, isn't that a million dollar question? Yeah, well, I know why they did. Uh, Pfizer and Moderna um, are have this um, policy where they, you know, you're they're protected from any kind of liability, uh, and uh, the Indian government was not comfortable with that proposition, and uh, and so they said, look, you know, we don't need you guys. We're 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 the pharmacy of the world. We make all of this stuff in house uh we can we have enough uh vaccines to uh, to sell to everybody we don't we don't need pfizer and moderna and we're quite happy with um uh, the viral vector vaccines the viral vector vaccine i'm told um are less problematic than the mrna vaccines now i'm not a scientist i'm not in yeah yeah, uh, yeah. So I can't I can't speak to that, but this is the general sort of um, um, uh, view out there about uh, this versus that. Uh, and so India is strictly focused on, um, uh, you know, the uh, the viral vector vaccines, more specifically AstraZeneca. And um, and 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 also I, I, I think they realized at some level, I think India realized and I've criticized the Indian government over the their handling of the Delta variant. But I would, I would, I would actually say that a lot of people ended up getting infected, which may have made a difference down the road. Um, and and unfortunately, this is this is this is the uncomfortable truth that you know, which which um, which which has to be said, which is when it comes to these kinds of infections, you you have to build immunity. Uh, there's no other way to it. I mean, natural immunity has been completely um, sidelined as though it's like some alien concept and that vaccines that we were meant to have vaccines. Right. And uh, and I think the Indian approach eventually was, look, you know, I think we have to it's it's impossible for us to lock down one point one billion people. It just is not feasible anymore. We did that for like three months and it set us back. Um, uh, in a really big way, economically, and it was a total disaster. And so I think the Indian approach over time was, look, you know, I think we have the vaccines, so let people take the vaccines. But if this uh, people are going to get infected as well, uh, we're going to have to prepare for that. And so they did that. So it was a multi-pronged approach. You know, I shouldn't have said it was the million dollar question because after you you talk openly about, um, you know, Pfizer, Moderna and, and everything that they have going for them. Yes, that makes complete sense. Yeah. Probably the way I should have stated it was yeah. India would be a very interesting case study in the fact that they're one of the, uh, not the I'm sure there's several, but like that seems pretty rare uh, that they said no, because uh, everyone just I mean, look at Canada, Rupa, like we're, yeah. we're signed up till, you know. 30 40 well, you know like yeah. it, it feels like we just got in bed with big pharma and decided let's yeah. let's just away we go 
Canada can't, um, Canada, um, yeah, it's extraordinary. I have pointed this out in the context of, um, you know, the, the Canada procuring these vaccines, uh, so many of them. Uh, and, uh, and what is also interesting, and I've written about this for the National Post, is uh, this past spring, um, several European countries um, wanted to renegotiate their contracts with these companies, specifically Pfizer and Moderna. And they said, look, you know, we've committed to all of these vaccines, but we're not going to be able to use them. Uh, the vaccine uptake in our countries has been just pretty dismal. Nobody wants them anymore. So we don't want to be on the hook for these vaccines. You know, why should we continue to pay for them? Uh, and I raised a question, why isn't Canada doing this? You know, why, you know, there's a, there's a stockpile of vaccines. You're just sitting there doing nothing. Um, and, and you know, and who who exactly is holding the government to account when it when it comes when it's come to these contracts right the australian government i believe sean has set up a public inquiry actually into the australian government's uh contracts with these vaccine companies uh we should have something similar going on in my opinion uh and get to the bottom of this because after all it's taxpayers money right well you talk about an inquiry i mean yeah. that would be something what I have this hard time uh, believing it'd be anything different than what's going on right now with the Emergencies Act inquiry. Yeah. Uh, you know, just not an aptitude. Maybe that is the word. But there seems like uh, like you're sitting there watching this uh, just to kind of hop to, uh, you know, start out in January, which yeah. I mean, the, the Freedom Convoy literally was in uh, end of January, beginning of uh, February. And yeah. uh to me, it's so crazy how far we've come Yeah, in, in less than a year. With this, uh, what are we on? Day 11, day 12, one of the, yeah. day 12, I think, yeah. um, of, of, the, of the commission. What have you thought so far of that? You're sitting there watching this all play out, seeing all the different things. You know, we, we talk about the, the vaccinated, unvaccinated, do this, do that, everything else. The the biggest power the government has is enacted on a group of protesters in your city, yeah. which you got to walk around and see yeah. like this is this is actually pretty cool. Now to hear all these different people come out and I listened to yeah. you and your lawyer on your podcast and he was fan he, he nailed yeah. it. Right. Yeah. Like to see uh, whoever it is get up in front and not only get uh, uh, grilled by one lawyer. But yeah. then, I mean, Brendan Miller has been become a little bit of a folk hero right now yeah. as he grills them. Um, what have your thoughts been on on the, the inquiry up to this point? Yeah, so um, I haven't actually been there in person. I've been uh, viewing all of this from the comfort of my home on Zoom. Uh, it's just that I, I, you know, given all of these things that I'm doing, it's just more efficient for me to. Uh, no apologies away. necessary. <laughs> I'm watching it so, from the comfort uh, of my home. <laughs> so I wish I wish I'd been I I, I could be there in person. Uh, I only went there once. But my uh, sense of the inquiry so far um, has been, uh, and I've written about it now a couple of times for the National Post, um, I find that our public officials, uh, the bureaucrats, have been more honest than our elected officials. Um, so you've had the likes of Pat Morris, um, you know, very, very, his forthright testimony uh, was uh, crucial, in my opinion, uh, last week. Uh, in dismantling this narrative that uh, there was this security threat and these people were violent insurrectionists and that uh, they were here to overthrow the government. And 
all of that stuff and um and he he basically uh you know demolished that uh in one fell swoop with his testimony um and and even even the others you know who were not necessarily seen as being sympathetic to what was happening here eventually had to admit look we didn't need the emergencies act uh, bear in mind bear in mind the the goal of the inquiry is to see if the government's threshold for invoking the emergencies act was actually met um, it's not necessarily about demolishing the the corrosive mainstream uh, narrative uh, that was in place even before the protests arrived and and then over the course of the last few months. Uh, it is about you know has this threshold been met? And in that sense, we, uh, we on that score we know it it wasn't. None yeah. of these all of these uh, even Chief Bell who you know who is uh, not exactly I mean he was talking about felt violence and there was violence that was felt by members of the community in Ottawa and he keep kept calling the protests as occupation and the protesters as occupiers he clearly had had an angle here but even he had to um come to the conclusion that we didn't we didn't need this we didn't need this it was helpful sure but we didn't need this we could have done this on our own um and uh and so that uh um that's been and one takeaway for me but of course you know the as i wrote in my last national post column i mean this this it's it's just uh, this this narrative that uh, that trudeau wanted uh, needed this emergencies act i mean it that rationale is just fallen flat on its face and then um, as a bonus, you have this narrative that the protesters were uh, a lunatic fringe, uh, you know, is also crumbling bit by bit. Uh, when you have um, the OPP intelligence chief saying, no, this was a grassroots movement. Remember, we were told, no, this is funded by Putin and Trump. Uh, uh, and he's saying, no, this was grassroots. This was organic. It had um, a large uh, amount of support across the country. Uh, it doesn't get better than that, right? Um, whereas if you look back to the mainstream media reporting of it, at the, at the same time when these intelligence reports were coming out, when these intelligence assessments were coming out, what did you see? You saw fringe outside support. Hmm, where Where is this money coming, coming from? Even Trudeau said uh, more than 50% of the funding for this uh, convoy is coming from the U.S. But CSIS is now saying, no, we, we, this, this, we, didn't, we didn't find any evidence of this. So um, at the end of the day for me is, look, this inquiry, uh, once the report is filed, um, it's not going to have any teeth, right? Um, you know, Trudeau can just put it on a shelf somewhere and just yeah. ignore it. Uh, so ultimately, it's about accountability. And this is the closest we're going to come uh, to holding our public officials to account. Um, and, and I think that's hugely important. The, uh, the testimonies, the cross-examination, the public is uh, viewing all of this. Uh, the media, to some extent, is reporting on it. I'm writing about it. So I think, I think um, I, you know, it doesn't look good for the government. It doesn't look good for, the, for Trudeau. Uh, but then again, um, you know, I'm, I tend to be a very cynical person, and I uh, um, also see that, uh, you know, I also wonder how many people are actually tuning in. You know, how interesting is this for people, right? Well, I've I've already I've already told everyone who's come on here. Yeah, I know lots of different, uh, um, a wide berth of an audience. 
Yeah. And uh, there's lots that don't even realize it's going on. Right. Or that kind of get it. And you're just kind of like, yeah, like we got to get on to things that are happening now, you know? And uh, I think uh, finding different ways to talk about it, to make sure that it gets, you know, what's going on there. They get to, you know, the nuggets that come out of it, I think is good. The fact that, listen, I I think the fact that Chris Barber and uh, Tamara Leach and, Tom Marazzo and I don't know, there's Pat King. Uh, I'm, I'm spacing on like seven other names all get yeah. to get up. Marco Van Hugenboss, right? Like those guys get to get up there and get grilled, not only by their side, but the other side yeah. will be good for all the Canadians. I mean, these yeah. guys were, and ladies were at the heart of a uh, majority yeah. of what went on. And the fact yeah. that that's going to be televised to all of Canada. Yeah. That's going to be some of the best television you get in Canada for the year. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think so. I I think it will be very, very interesting. And already, I think, uh, based on some of the testimony so far, um, I think that uh, was, you know, I found that to be interesting and important. And, uh, and it's good. You know, I've, the events of the last few months, and by events, I mean, just um, the way the protests were portrayed by the mainstream media and how our elected officials, like the mayor of my city, you know, was talking about violence, but never, he heard about it, you know. (laughs) He heard about it or he saw it on, he heard it or he saw it on CBC. Yeah. And he just, uh, you know, I, I for one felt, you know, where exactly are we going here with this? You know, this is not the Canada that I moved to. Uh, this is not the Canada that I fell in love with. You know, what is going on here? I mean, the, the, this is literally um, the, uh, the corroding of our, uh, of our most imp- important institutions uh, happening right before our eyes. And uh, what do we do about it? Um, apart from telling the truth, um, and uh, and it was very dispiriting uh, what I what I experienced. Of course, I've also become a target of some of this uh, misinformation and disinformation and hate out there. And uh, you know, while I can handle all of that, um, you know, my my bigger concern was where do we go here as a country? You know, what, what what's and where, the... and, and where do you think we go as a country? Well, that's the thing, and I've been thinking about this, and uh, what you know, quite extensively. And last week, when I heard, in this past week, when I heard the testimonies of Pat Morris and uh, Russell Lucas and a few other people, it made me realize that our that you know, there's, there's some faith to be had still in in our in 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 our officials, in our public officials. In, in in law enforcement, for example, um, um, the elected officials, not so much, but uh, but at least, you know, uh, the institutions are still working. The institutions, um, the public inquiry is only happening because, you know, it, 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 the institutions are still working, I think, to some extent. Um, and uh, and I think while while they've uh, been uh, um, uh, under attack um, uh, in recent years, I think there's still uh, uh, um, time for us to uh, work on improving them, um, and and I think this is these are important steps. I think this is this is what is happening right now is an important step in that direction. I think the testimonies of uh, Pat Morris and uh, the other OPP officer, OPS officers, all of that is 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 you know tells tells me that 
there's people can still be objective. People can still be objective. You can oppose uh, the freedom protest. You can oppose something that you don't believe in, but you can still do your job and and sift through all of the noise and come to an objective conclusion. And uh, and I'm I'm hoping that uh, more of that happens as time goes on. But because if it doesn't, if we keep um, uh, going down this path of more and more divisive rhetoric uh, and more and more divisions, uh, it's that's not going to be good for uh, our democracy. Uh, going into the future. Well, I, I think it's people such as yourself that are helping bridge a gap there uh, of of trying to get uh, maybe both sides of the, the coin a little bit of understanding because you, you certainly are bridging a gap, Rupa, in my mind, and you do a, a, a fantastic job of of uh, expanding on your thoughts and your articles. Uh, listen, I, I, I try and read a ton of... Uh, different articles from different major sources and some of them uh, like are worse than watching paint dry and yep. that is not your articles your articles are fantastic <laughs> so if people haven't uh, looked you up I, I i suggest they do um now to get you out here on time we'll go to the final question and it's uh brought to you by crude master transport uh shout out to heath and tracy mcdonald they've been supporters of the podcast since the very beginning it's uh it's heath's words it's if you're going to stand behind a cause and stand behind it absolutely what is one thing Rupa stands behind? I st- stand behind the ideas. I'm an ideas person. I, um, I don't have much time for partisanship. Uh, and uh, I've always felt passionately about uh, things that I uh, care about. And one of them is uh, freedom and individual liberty. Um, um, and uh, I um, will always uh, defend that uh, till my dying day. Uh, yeah. Well, I appreciate you giving me some of your time today, Rupa. I won't keep you any longer. I know you got deadlines and time crunch and all that good stuff. So thank you for uh, making making some time for me today. And uh, hopefully we'll see you down the road here, uh, uh, you know, at a time in the future. Yeah, no, this was an ap- absolute pleasure, uh, Sean. And, and thank you for uh, inviting me. And I had, uh, this was a great conversation and we should do this again soon.